While Beauty Lab and Laser is a professionally licensed medical facility, the hosts of this podcast are not medical professionals, nor do they claim to be. The opinions on this podcast are for entertainment only. Please seek a licensed medical professional for all medical questions. Hi, and welcome to Live Love Lab, the behind-the-scenes podcast from Beauty Lab and Laser. This is Heather Gay, one of your hosts. I'm joined by Dre. I'm the other host and the other co-owner of Beauty Lab and Laser, and together we are Druther. We haven't done the Druther thing for a minute. I think we do it every single time. Do we? No. Well, I don't think so. I think we've never done an opening without it. Well... You know we're, what? We're Prove me wrong. Out. We're missing I out. love to be proven wrong. <laughs> lo- and you know what? DM me a mean, nasty message about how I was wrong. I would love to hear it. Oh, well, today we have a special guest, and this is actually a round two. Round three. Ra- round, round three? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, round two of podcasts. Yeah. Round three of getting uh, drunk on Vuv Co together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So actually, true. Actually, we're just on Swig. Uh, what I call vomit water, they call fruit water. I am a huge fan I of know, it. I know you love it. And I'm saying this not to criticize <laughs> Michael that brought me the delicious drink, but to, to just address that there's a portion of the population that's not into this. I promise you. I, I believe it. And all they have to do is invent a sieve straw or a tiny, you can't. Or do a, a small straw instead of the big boba straw. Right? But you know what? They can't do that because then you suck the piece in and it clogs the straw. That's true. true. Mm-hmm. Have True. to have a sieve straw. Which That's I'm right. gonna, you know, trademark. Trademark. <laughs> trademark. <laughs> All right. Well, our special guest today is the one, the only, Michael Allen. Welcome. Hello, hello. So, um, informally known as Queer Bear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And um, so we tried to, <laughs> to record a podcast really many moons ago, and we ended up. Um, Getting drunk and ran out of time and had a dinner reservation. <laughs> and we had dinner and then didn't we karaoke? We, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We did dinner right. and karaoke. We're like, podcast. <laughs> Nobody's listening anyway. Let's go to dinner. Oh, no, those might have been separate. Were they separate there events? was the one where we did the dinner downtown. And then the next time I came, we went with, um, the house, we went with the house bears. Oh, and that's right. Dinner, yeah. So we just yeah. joined you, for dinner and then went into karaoke. Yeah. And you had a full, uh, um, I was going to say the greatest showman moment, yes, singing karaoke. Yes, yes, that was amazing. Oh, you I have videoed such the whole a good thing, voice. and he just commanded the stage. You know, like people can mm-hmm. sing well, but it takes like sometimes the second or third verse before you're like, oh, I can feel confident. I don't have to like brace myself for the cringe. But he just commanded it from note one. Ugh. Yeah. The whole room. Yeah, it was so great. It was very cool. So it was Thank very you. very cool. Very talented. I do love the limelight. Well, and karaoke is a hard game to to succeed at. It is. Because everyone has a different karaoke catalog. And the the key changes and the the reverb changes and the ability to hear yourself changes. And I'm just saying, as a a consummate performer. Every place you go to. Mm -hmm. And you have to read the audience and be like, is a Neil Diamond song going to fall flat or is it going (laughs) to soar? Right. Exactly. Right. Are Uh they going to run me out on a rail if I'm a man singing Lady Gaga or are they going to, you know, stand up and cheer? You Mm -hmm. have to, it's a lot of, you have to gauge your audience, you you have to gauge your song choice and, you know. That particular audience was not going to be receptive to me doing Ursula. Nope, poor nope, nope, so nope. We, you read that room correctly as you did. We had to pivot. As did one time we went there with Papa Bear and he read the room and sang, Come into America from Neil Diamond, and it went over oh, amazingly. Amazing. He got the, they were yeah. chanting his name. <laughs> I, I can like, see it's it. either that or Whitney Houston. I just went with Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Papa Bear. Oh, we love all the bears in our lives. We sure do. Okay, well. So, Michael, let's talk. 
Let's talk. Let's talk. So we, okay, first of all, how did you two, Heather and Michael, how did you two connect? DMs. Was it DMs? Yeah, it was shortly after season one had started airing and there was a couple of vignettes on the show where you were parenting and I reached out and I'm like, hey, gay ex-Mormon single dad here. And so <laughs> you speak Bravo and LDS and I'm fluent in both. And so I just love you. And then went on to like continue to praise her about how just the resonant and authentic representation of single parenting uh, in a warm way on reality TV, which is very rare. And I was like... Do you have any idea, like, how you are affirming so many parents out there? And it just started from that. And I think it was actually the whole line of, like, I'm fluent in Bravo and LDS. That kind of, like, that 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 spoke to my heart. Yeah, hook, line, sinker. I was just like, where do I sign up? And then from there, we... uh, We trauma bonded. Yeah, we we totally did. Because the first time I came in and, and got my hydrofacial... Yes. Only available at Beauty Lab. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsor. <laughs> our esteemed sponsor, Beauty Lab and Laser. And, and Heather literally sat there and held my hand the entire time we were halfway through the bottle. And we just talked about trauma <laughs> while I'm getting my pores yeah. circulated. <laughs> three years ago, before my life became a circus of chaos. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah. We can name that tune in two notes. You know, like we can, we get it. Yes. Each other. Yeah. Twin flames. Yeah. Twin flames. Twin flames. Yeah. Trailblazers. Well, Trailblazers. Twin I, Trailblazers. I remember um, Heather, you know, just kind of telling me about you and your story is so compelling and inspiring. And we wanted you to tell your story on our podcast. Right? It's like this American life, but just not as cool or produced. <laughs> Truly. NPR, sorry. Invite we me one day. <laughs> and so the little, I mean, I you kind glass. of, you kind of gave a little teaser of, you know, gay ex-Mormon single dad. I mean, so can we, can you expand on that, <laughs> yeah, please? Yeah, that's the headline. <laughs> so, uh, born of goodly Mormon stock, uh, going all the way back to Joseph Smith. Um, You're in good company. I know. I have an ancestor who wrote one of the hymns. <gasps> Which oh. hymn? Uh, it's, it was in the old one when it got revised. Was we, it in yeah. 84? We've been talking yeah. about we know the, the old We we'll know the old canon. We know what got left <laughs> off. We know what got attributed to the new. Oh, now that you put me on the spot, I'm not going to remember the title. But That's his okay. name was Philo okay. Dibble. And okay. so he wrote a couple. Yeah. Philo T. Farnsworth invented the television. He's also from Utah. There I think go. it's a Mormon name. Philo. Yeah, Farnsworth. Is, oh, yeah. Philo T. Farnsworth. Huh. Okay. And it's Philo Dibble. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's an unfortunate name. I'm glad he had some <laughs> musical talent. <laughs> and I pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Philo Dibble. I'm Mr. and Mrs. Dibble. 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 Brother Dibble. <laughs> I mean, that just like rolls off the tree. You could see that in Sunday school. Brother Dibble. Dibble Dibble. So I was born in Logan. My uh, parents are both from Cache Valley. And I was only there for a year. Then I was raised primarily in Iowa, but all of the rest of the clan was out here. So coming back every year to see family and mm-hmm. Utah always felt like second home. Uh, and I was a golden Mormon boy uh, out in the mission field because I was the only Mormon in my high school. So it was also a badge of honor to be like, no, I will be very obedient. I will be very orthodox. Yeah. Well, uh, all three of us have been out of state Mormons before, mm-hmm. and it is kind of, you feel that mantle of yeah. responsibility, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You're yeah. representing something important. Mm-hmm. You're an ambassador. Yep, and so yep. you kind of got to get it right because especially with a religion that has historically in the American context come under a lot of scrutiny. There's this sense that, that you're kind of like conditioned to like represent us well. Yeah, look normal, look mm-hmm. normal, look cool, mm-hmm. look friendly. We don't want them to believe yeah. the old rumors. Right, right, totally. Make sure they know you don't have horns and a tail. Make sure you invite them over to our homes. They can feel the spirit. 
Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So the major milestones that followed is I, I followed the dream very altruistically to my young mind. I went to BYU-Idaho. I went on a mission to Argentina. I came back to BYU-Idaho, and then I met my to-be wife a year later, and we were married in the Nauvoo Temple. Like, wow. All very Damn, son. Like, that was the, like, I did all those things. I was there when we built the Nauvoo Temple. I did booty duty for the open house. Like, and oh so I also felt God. embedded in church history. Yeah. It was wow. that's another connection we have because my dad um, ran all security. He had, had a history with like really? uh, the FBI, so he did all security for the prophets and apostles when we did the Denver Temple dedication. Okay. And wow. so we got to sit in the celestial room for the dedication yes. of that temple. It's perks. It's like a status thing. It really is. Booty and duty is big because they <laughs> basically when before the temple is dedicated, um, anyone can come of the public. And booty duty is they put booties on mm-hmm. every person's feet so they don't uh, you know mar the solely carpet. the yeah solely the the carpet. carpet. And they replace the carpet anyway. I yeah, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, even after they do booty duty as a part of the consecration of the temple, they, they oh. pull up all of the carpet and redo all the floors. You can't oh, have yes, I didn't know that. Touch oh yeah, as a way of consecrating it. it needs to yeah. be all new for okay. the Lord. for pure spirit yeah. okay wow wow okay yeah a lot of cost goes into those open houses and dedication wow. for sure yeah so um then security I was, was free <laughs> <laughs> it was an honor. Pro bono. uh then after uh we had a beautiful daughter a couple of years later and then we were in arizona for a long time while i did grad school and then uh we'll kind of go into depth here in a minute but then that's when life started to unravel uh it was while we were in Arizona, so eventually I came out a very long and arduous divorce. Uh, not unamicable, but arduous for other reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was able to kind of claim an authentic life, and then I moved to Seattle with a great job with my current company, and uh, and then I parent from afar, and we're as close as ever, and so we've found a new dynamic with all of it. So, wow. so that's, that's how you became a gay, level. single, mm-hmm. um, ex-ex-Mormon dad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, and uh, I shouldn't mention God excommunicated through the process. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You so, did as part of when you came out. Correct. I even tried to do conversion therapy. Well, not tried. I self-opted for conversion therapy during the marriage to just try and save things. And okay. I mean, So what's wow. your, my first question is when did you think you might be gay or did you even have words for it? No. Was it even on the menu? Did, did you, because you were celibate until you got married, I'm That's assuming. That's correct. I was a virgin until I got married. And so up until that point, any attraction that I experienced, so... When I didn't feel attracted to girls, it was a, there was a virtuous explanation for this, right? It's, oh, I don't objectify women, which actually makes me a really good, upstanding guy. That, mm-hmm. That's how we should treat daughters right. of God. You this know? is how we should view them. And I was like, oh, Zero this makes me a great... Response. Exactly. Right. Like, there's no sexualization or objectification whatsoever. I'm going to be a great son-in-law. They'll love me. Um, I'm good in the kitchen. I'm great with kids. All the things that you, we kind of expect that maybe a good husband could be. So I was like, I'm doing this right. And any attraction that came up to men, I just fully sidelined. I was like, oh, there's a piece of me that's broken. I never identified with being gay. I'm like, I'm a straight guy who has an affliction. Uh, this, this is my trial of the flesh. Okay. This is my burden to bear for this lifetime is to have mastery over this and continue to be obedient. And you felt capable of doing that. Like, I can master 100%. this. Yeah. I can Did do this. you have sexual response to men and not to women? I mean, was it was it that polarized or was it kind of on the oh, scale? Oh, yeah. I mean, if we're going there, like, I've never had a sex dream of a woman. All of my sex dreams were of men, but I would wake up the next morning and I would shame myself so hard. I felt so guilty. I was like, I'm not supposed to dream those things. I'm not supposed to feel those things. Even, like, for a young pubescent boy, like, hugging a guy for, like, more than... Yeah, like yeah. 15 seconds you would notice a reaction it's like and that never happened with a woman never okay. hmm. 
But it wasn't on the menu, so it wasn't an option. No, and so I, I never identified as being gay. I was like, nope, just got the same-sex attraction affliction. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. We, we call, I mean, basically, it's an affliction. It's a... Treatable condition. A treatable mm -hmm. condition that with, through God, all things are possible. Correct. Through enough faith, I can overcome this. And so you had a healthy attitude about it. You were like, yeah, you know, some people are drawn to alcohol or sugar or porn or whatever. Totally. And I'm drawn to men, but I can overcome it. And through Christ, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I will, did you think that if you flex that muscle, it would get stronger and it would not be a problem? Or did you think it would be a problem your whole life? Like how intense was it? Um, at, so during that time, it didn't feel crazy, overwhelming and intense, but that definitely changed later because after getting married and then having sex and opening Pandora's box, it's like, oh, all of a sudden this like latent sexual desire that I haven't been acting on ever. Now it's awakening. Imagine what this would feel like when layered upon with this like little broken right. part of me that I have. That's what then entailed the next nine years and how it felt like it got out of control to me. But I didn't contemplate anything outside of that because I was convinced my happiness was conditional upon getting married, mm -hmm. having the family, achieving salvation and exaltation. Because mm -hmm. if I didn't do those, then I couldn't be happy and I couldn't have what I wanted. Yeah, so who wants sex if you're miserable? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if this is the plan of happiness, you don't consider like, oh, well, maybe I'll just be miserable but sexually satisfied. You know, it's, totally. it's, the, whole, it's the whole kit and caboodle. And that's, a, that's actually a really good point that I'll probably bring up is because I was like, the sex, like I can forego, right? Like I don't have to be sexually satisfied. Not that I had language for this at the time. Right. I don't need to be sexually satisfied if I can be morally happy Absolutely. and aligned with who I need to be now and eternally. And not ostracized from but your that, family and friends and everything you've ever known. Exactly. Losing it. And I... I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of isolated and very sheltered. So like if I didn't have the church and my church community and if I didn't have my family, I had nothing. Right. Like that was threatening to this little boy to take everything away from him and like, no, like you'll do whatever you need to to survive to keep what you have. So what about your relationship with your wife? I mean, because I'm just yeah, trying to put my wedding night. Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes because like if I understand very very I can very much relate to, you know, not having that sexual experience and then all of a sudden you're married and then you have sex and it's very confusing and for me it's not about my sexuality it's just well I guess it's everything about my sexuality it's that like I was not prepared I didn't know what I was doing right. I wasn't comfortable I felt a lot of internal shame all of that kind of stuff but I kind of got through it because I loved my husband because we got along so well so did you like did you get along with her really well do you did you you know, obviously you felt like you were in love with her enough to get married. Um, so how did you, um, navigate, yeah, that. navigate your feelings there? It was very confusing. Um, the, the, the wedding night, who, uh, a tragedy. Um, and it was all my fault is how I feel. So being a virgin at that point, you could have poked me with a broomstick and there would have been a reaction. Sure. <laughs> and then once you do actually, like, and so that's if how it a worked. big, thick broomstick, <clears throat> all the better. And, <laughs> And I also want to be careful how I say this because she's a very attractive woman. Mm -hmm. And so th this isn't to say that she wasn't attractive. I just may not have been attracted to her, right? Sure. But um, she there, was a woman. She was a woman. But there was things you can do like I'm a great kisser. And turns out like good kissing works for me. And I can get some of the machinery going if that's what's required. Sure. <laughs> no, we, this, yeah, this is what totally, we're Totally. Totally. No, this so, is the nuts and bolts that we want to talk so, about mm -hmm. because we... 
we, people don't understand. Like some people say, yeah, I could have five kids with a woman, but I really am gay. But other people are like, it would never work for me with a woman. But you're somewhere in between. I, I'm kind of in between. Yeah. And I started with one and then became the other. Like, And it, it was a source of a lot of anxiety and shame. Uh, so the first night, nothing happened because I was like a sobbing mess, literally in the fetal position on our honeymoon. Bed. And did you express to her anything that had happened? Yes. Sexually so, before? oh, that's okay. great. Yeah, we need to layer that in. So I told her before I asked her to marry me, I said, "You need to know something about me," because where I was at in my millennial generation, we were talking about this. SSA was something that we were having a little bit of discourse within specific support groups of the church or with Absolutely. bishops for. Mm -hmm. yep. it, it was. Like, it was but again, thing, yeah. it was always operationalized as the treatable condition. So I told her, "Hey." I'm going to struggle with this and may struggle with this my whole life. You just need to know. Um, I would understand if you don't want to take this on either. Uh, and That's so we, so cool of you. And so we had that. Uh, and then we both willingly decided to go forward Did you with both marriage. pray about it? Um, and absolutely. She went and had interviews with state president, practically with regional authorities. And she said, this is what's up with my boyfriend, potential fiance. Do I do this? And they gave her a cautionary green light, a kind of like, he can overcome this, it will be okay, but it will always be a struggle in your marriage if that's what you want to do. But again, well, who all things wants are overcomable to, through Christ. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I just can't believe that and, she got so much guidance to just like, how important is sex anyway, really? But, you know what I mean? but that's, like, that's kind of the but message. But that also, like, we've heard that. Yeah. And I think I, like, I could see myself being faced with that same thing and, and thinking, well, this is my very best friend. I love him. We, I want, I, he's going to be an amazing things. dad. He can take me to the temple. Who all really cares? Those, when you're taking with all those boxes, mm -hmm. like how many people are in sexless marriages? How many yeah. of our parents were in sexless marriages? Totally. You know, how many of us thought like after the first 10 years, you're not really having sex anyway. That's my concept of it. I thought sex Absolutely. was something for the young and that you aged out and that it was just and a And it evolved into thing. another type of love, a working yes, love, a, right. working love, a celestial love. Yeah. So, and that's absolutely it. And not kidding, we used that same phrase at the beginning when it didn't feel very sexual. We'd say, well, we feel like we skipped a couple of chapters. We're just in the celestial love, really good working partnership, great friends stage. Mm -hmm. That's how we justified this. It's like, well, we just skipped a few steps. It's wow. okay if there's no sex because we're evolved. No, and totally. How we love each yeah. other. How do you, you know how it many consoling. people are in marriages right now where they haven't had sex with their spouse for years and they're like, because, you know, we're evolved. Yep. Mm -hmm. They look at it as evolution. We don't need that. We have, we have overcome the desires of the flesh. And Absolutely. now we live within, you know, the desires of There's God. There's so much dogma that we can throw at this to justify how we feel and to justify the scarcity of unmet needs. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And never once did we say to women, guess what? Sex might not be important to you right now. You're 19. When you're 40, it's going to be all you can think about. You know what right. I mean? Like you're, right. you haven't hit your sexual peak. Right. So the sacrifices you're willing to make at 20 when you don't know anything before and all you're planning on doing is having babies and being a good wife, then you're like, wait a second. I actually have a, an arc to follow myself. Mm -hmm. Like I need to discover my own sexuality, mm -hmm. but we never even put that on the thing. It's just, what does he want? What does he need? And is he attracted to me? Mm -hmm. right, right. Am I doing it well enough for him? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were able to start this marriage off and things worked and it was sex for the first time. So it also felt amazing Yeah, um, mm -hmm. because, because sex feels good. And you've uh, been holding on to that rope, like not doing it for so long. And all it's of a sudden like it's you like, let go. And honestly, the biology of a man and woman are meant to work together quite well. And so like, it feels good. It was a great experience. And it wasn't until like, honestly, another couple of years later when it was layering on how good this experience felt sexually. And we were able to have a decently healthy sex life. 
starting out and I didn't know anything other. I wasn't seeking anything other. But it was when those questions of, well, how would this feel if it was with the content of my dreams? Mm -hmm. Like now layering how mm -hmm. could some of these feel with what I fantasize about? What would that be like? Did you tell Dangerous your questions. wife about your dreams? No. Were they wet dreams or just... Um, as a teenager, they would. Uh, as married, there was yeah, a, I mean, enough. We, we no had, nocturnal emissions. I'm just curious, <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's no, just I wouldn't talk, to be I was in a so marriage, shameful. but to have a dream about, like, that's big. You know what I mean? That's a schism. Totally. But even though I had uh, opened up this topic when we were courting uh, <laughs> and before... <laughs> Go and court. Go and court. I totally was Adam in that musical. <laughs> um, I promise you, it is the Mormon musical. It is the Mormon musical. <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> what was so, you, so you so were, were talking about what brought it up while you were courting. Had, yeah, even yeah. though I had broached the subject, it was still something that was always very threatening to talk about thereafter sure. because it, uh, I felt a lot of shame about it. It was like, does this spell the end of a marriage, which neither of us could countenance because you don't think that's possible. And you don't want to hurt her feelings because yeah. we everything about sex to us is contingent on, we think, our ability to attract the man, yep. to entice the man, and to be, you know, to be attractive. Yep. So if you're not, if you're still thinking Very about guys threatening. and I'm giving you everything, like you don't want to hurt her. There's always a question that I've seen through all of my friends who are gay dads uh, and with their spouses, what they experience is that the first line of questioning from the woman always is, oh, I wasn't enough. Like I am not attractive enough for you to overcome your attraction to men. I don't have enough pull totally. here. And that it, that's a baseless question. Well, like, it's because we, not... we don't teach women that sex has anything to do other than that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We don't teach them about sexual response mm -hmm. or we just don't we, right we teach them to don't do it yep. until there's a ring on your finger why buy the calf you get the milk for free yeah so uh that later as things progressed and especially after we had our daughter um then the sex started whittling it off off and it wasn't just because of the progression of time it started becoming a performance issue for me like then I wasn't responding. I couldn't perform. And like the only thing that could get me aroused was these fantasies or even using porn, which of course like we demonize so very much right. in the faith. And so I, if I brought those up, I would get recommended to go to 10 step, like, oh, you need to go deal with your porn addiction. So um, I couldn't perform anymore. And again, I didn't think it was because I was gay. This whole time it was, I'm just so damn broken. Like something is so deeply broken inside me that I can't even do my patriarchal duties. And like, and so our conversations, even around a growing family, moved from "Do we adopt?" since it doesn't seem we can make more kids, um, mm. <laughs> which hits you right at the kind of um, progeny cord. Not that yeah. like masculinity or femininity should be defined by no, those. No, but it's like but you it got married you. to have kids. You got married to have this family. You didn't get married to face your demons every single goddamn exactly. day. You know so, what I mean? Like. Yep. That's not and so the, the refiner's fire we're looking for. Exactly. And so the nuts and bolts that you wanted to know about it worked very successfully at first. And it was healthy. And we were in love. And it was all I knew. And I thought it was amazing. And then it stopped working. Uh, and then I became one of those people who couldn't perform. Uh, and I was like, well, what's wrong? That's when I entertained ideas of conversion therapy, of how to fix some of these things. Um, and what was offered to you for conversion therapy? 
So some of the old institutions and organizations that had existed through the 90s got shut down. Evergreen was mm-hmm. one of yeah, those. Familiar. Um, but there were still dregs of those programs that then got co-opted by other like neo-smaller niche groups and never And we call them young, li- we call not young living, sorry. We call them like, <laughs> like empowerment group and you know, Absolutely. like all the support groups. And it was like. LDS, SSA support yes, circles and, yep. and come to our group chats and our firesides. And there's a couple exist. of those. They, they just, still, they oh just, yeah. They know I've to stay a, under the radar. I know. And I participated in a lot of them. And if some of those things came to light of what they actually are encouraging tacitly it's 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 horrific horrific. and they won't say that they actually do but it's horrific and i've done everything from the most conservative who are yep either do a mixed orientation marriage if you can or stay celibate the rest of your life been on the very conservative side to the more liberal runs like affirmation who are like we just want to hold space for you here or in circle like yeah we get the context you came from but like you should be here with us Mm -hmm. so so um, many different messages. So and many. Think of those options, though. You're in a marriage with someone you love, but you're completely sexually averse to, you mm-hmm. know, and then you have a child that you love. Yeah. And they say, well, you can either choose to stay in this mixed orientation marriage or just leave and be totally celibate with no family, no child, those are no the support. Those are your two options for salvation. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are not options, those are not God driven options but that's what they are convinced they are and so there were some of these groups who would preach uh, this ideology and there were some spin-off groups that would also well if you want to make the mixed orientation marriage work and you're struggling we have a couple of retreats there's a couple of weekends that you can go and do uh, i want to talk about the weekends because i have a friend whose husband uh they're still married but he came out as gay after like you know they had like a 16 year old mm-hmm. like they had older kids okay and they would participate in those things, and she would come and tell me about them, and I I would listen, just like it's horrifying because they you would can do these, hug like, for like a minute, yep. you can touch feet, they would have cuddle you can hold parties, hands. yes, tell us about it. And I, they would I mean, even do these, and they would do support calls for the wives of these men too, and basically like tell the women you're never going to be enough for him, and so you need to let him find fulfillment in these other safe experiences. Just FYI. So tell us what a safe experience would have been. You'd go to an LDS same sex support group. Yeah, the so, other married gay Mormon men. Uh huh. And so, like, hug as long as you need to because you need to make sure that your uh, needs with masculinity and camaraderie are being met. But if it becomes arousing, that's probably when you should stop. So, the but second also you get a boner, you, you have to let go. Yeah. But also, if you do get a boner and if something happens, uh, you can always repent later. I'm not kidding. It was very blurred lines. I mean, they would have on the leg, you don't they would, pull back. They would have, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they would have cuddle parties. It would be, What's what does a cuddle party entail? Oh, like a bunch of guys getting together and basically sitting and holding each other and like everyone getting aroused, but not doing any direct touching, no, not yeah, making over, any noises, nothing no over kissing. Nothing overusing the clothes, no kissing. Yep. Nothing that would be construed as homosexual behavior. Correct. And you yet can hug. they would blur that line. Because like, yeah, you move your hips a certain way and you will, Listen, oh, I'm just readjusting how I'm I know all about the Levi sitting. love, man. You yeah. talk, I mean, I invented the positions. <laughs> Correct. And so it was doing all of that stuff, uh, but in these safe circles. And then if anything happened, oh, you're with safe men. This has happened to us before. Talk to your bishop or go through a repentance process. We've all been there. We've all done that. Or confirm in this like now group of brethren that you have because uh, they'll help support you they'll help you work through the shame of it and then you can get back to a little more chaste living so wait when you say Rinse if something repeat. happened not just a sexual response but like if you guys took it too far and like had sex or like mm-hmm. okay so sometimes it was a way to hook it was like a toe tap under the bathroom stall, it, like <laughs> kind of it, it never would get as blatant or usually as aggressive as actually hooking up except i 
I know plenty of instances where that happened to men in these situations or because of these support groups, it would be so tempting that they couldn't get enough. And so they go to a cuddle party and then they would go and do other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Is it scratching the itch or is it just like, is it an amuse bouche? Mm-hmm. If you will. They tried to convince you that it was scratching the itch and taking care of needs, but it turns out it doesn't. It doesn't. Did your wife wow. find support from the other wives? No. Really? No, it was because uh, too much shame. It was too very much, threatening. Yeah. It, it was always again a scarcity mindset of like you're not enough. Like yeah, there's what n- you bring to the table is not enough to keep him and and all of these other narratives that were unhealthy for her to believe as a woman. Like the, oh. the, the the women of these marriages, and I can't speak for them. It's not my experience, and they've all had different experiences too. But I have seen many just relegate themselves to, oh, well, this is what I get. I'm signed up for this trial with him. This is what we're going to do together. Um, and if they're very authentically happy with that, I could never tell them that they aren't, except I saw so many people who, to my perception, settled and just had to, yep, this is the best you're going to get. I, I mean, I can tell you in my own personal experience, like you just, you, you, you walk into the room and you don't know how many floors there are because this is your, you're just entering at ground level. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you just decide, I only need, I, I can main floor living. I can just stay on the main floor, even though you know that there are people that are living like in the penthouse. Totally. And you just realize this is, this is my real estate. Yep. This is as good as it's going to get. And I'm, so I'm going to make yeah. this I've made fabulous. I've so made I'm going to figure bed. out how to, how to make this my penthouse. Maximize the potential mm-hmm. with this first floor mm-hmm. condo. And I never thought he needs to be a penthouse. He, our sex needs to be a penthouse. Our life needs, I just thought lower, you know, humble yourself. Get down to the work. You have yeah. be grateful that you have a roof over your head, even not, if you're living in the basement. Yeah. And not to dive into doctrine too much, but it was either Monson or Kimball who said, like, as long as two people are aiming to live the gospel of Jesus yep. Christ, there's no incompatibility. Yeah, any marriage can work. Two righteous members of the church. That's the quote. Can, mm-hmm. can make a marriage work. Yeah. yeah. So you hear that? That's you, that's been ingrained. We've been told in us. that. We've been told that actually settling and suffering is virtue. Like. And good marriage. It's actually probably more virtuous if you're suffering as a result because you're earning your rewards in heaven. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Martyrdom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was like, do we break down now? Do we start no, crying? You yeah. guys. Should we have a cuddle party? <laughs> so, um, I mean, I just don't even know what to say. It's a, it, I know. This is blowing my mind, and I feel heartbroken for everyone who is in that situation, the wives, you know, and the husbands, I, I can't imagine a more painful experience. And I mean, hopefully there are people that are thriving and okay, but now you can't but, thrive. That's, that's the fallacy. You can't say that. Like, hopefully there's people in mixed orientation marriages that are thriving. That different. is, yeah. that is a paradox that cannot exist. I've lost so many friendships over people who are still in this situation and they are, I, it, that I am proved that I could not thrive in that situation threatens them very much. And I've lost lots yeah. of friendships. I'll tell you right now, it threatens other women. If you say you can't thrive, if you don't have the same rights as the guy that has a penis, exactly based on your genitalia, a lot of if people. you're in a structure and in an institution where your worth and your abilities, your jobs, your title is based on your genitalia, you're not equal. <laughs> I don't care right. how much you love being the nurturer. You're not thriving because you are cutting off 
part of yourself. Yeah. I want to talk about what kind of helped started tipping me in the other direction yeah. towards this transition and like what then became untenable about this for me. And I will fully own this and I'm happy being on the record with this. I was unfaithful for three years before I marriage ended and very... With only men. Yep. With very cyclical type of things like I would slip up or something would happen with a guy and I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And so I'd go chased and monastic and I'd repent and I'd like keep it going for three to six months and then something else would inevitably happen again. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a very, for me, Buddhist approach to this because I was like, well, this doesn't work with my life. This is not acceptable. Um, and so I really had a double life. Yeah, and it and taught you how to deceive, to de compartmentalize, you know, to, yeah. lie, uh, but keep the appearances going, which we're all very good at. So <laughs> I, I just kept these double lives going. And I, I consoled myself by saying, I can't, I can't reconcile both today. I hope one day these will become whole. And so I just kind of lived with the duality of it for a very long time. She eventually found out. But prior to her finding out, I got to a point where this wasn't about the sex anymore. Because even when there was the occasional like getting off in a way that felt physically satisfactory, and also I learned, I was like, oh, this feels so much better than what I've been taught to expect out of a sexual relationship. So yeah, I definitely swing the for this team. When you get a taste of the when flame. When you get a taste of it, all of a sudden it's, <laughs> it's like, like oh, I could have been asking for this. whopper, you can never go back. Yeah. <laughs> I could have right. asked for this this entire time, but what tipped it for me is I got really depressed because there was this God-sized hole inside, and it wasn't just about the sex. It was a realization of I can never fully be myself, and I can never have the level of companionship with a partner or partners that makes me deeply feel validated in who I am. And that thought was just like, oh, like that's what I have to live with for the rest of my life. It's not just about the sex. It's and about that's eternal love. Yeah. That's celestial love. Yeah is when it can be all of you, not just, you know, a sexual And a realization, yes. I can never give her my full self. And my full self never fits into what we have. And our souls will never commune like they could if she was with a straight man. And if you were with... A, a exactly. And so I saw the penthouse and I was like, I, I, I can't settle for... Like, I can't settle for this. But I tried and I got really depressed. And when she found out about this, uh, about the cheating, there was a big rupture, obviously, because that was horrible to her, and I did horrible things that hurt her deeply. Uh, and as we went through the process of healing, uh, and I did therapy, she did therapy, it still, from the time we separated, it still took 10 months before I actually filed uh, wow. for a divorce, because it was about getting to a mentally healthy state. Would she have stayed if you didn't file for mm -hmm. divorce? She would have stayed. Mm -hmm. To this day. No, I totally 100% did. I could weep for her, but yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, I think she's actually convinced that God will still honor our ceiling, right? I'll still come back. Well, she day. needs you. You're her, you're her carabiner into heaven. She has to, we have to have a man. She even did this once in therapy when the therapist told her she could be entitled to more and that she could also have a penthouse. She <laughs> made an itemized list of all of the straight men in both of our families and listed their psychoses. And she said, so you're saying in exchange for sex, this is what I get? Right. Because outside well, of obviously woman. my infidelity, I was a good husband. I'm a great and father. And I loved her. Like, and... Like that was, it was a good marriage, except for that it wasn't authentic, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, no, we, 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 all the it's mechanics fine, were like, really good. Is it a real marriage if they only like you because you're attracted to you? Or is it a real marriage because your souls are, you know, joined in 
harmony. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we are still very successful co-parents together. We partner very well on these things. And I'm very fortunate in that regard that I have a healthy relationship with my daughter and her as a co-parent. And I'm not cut out because of the bitterness. the sin and the shame. And and the the shame. Like we have a dual religious household now and we figure that out. And our daughter gets to make decisions whether she wants to get baptized or go to church. So she stayed totally active in the church. In fact, I think became more orthodox and reverted back to a very staunch place. That would have been me too. Yeah. I, I get it. She, she has this fierce feminist streak going on inside her and I hope it continues to show but she definitely went back to because that was the safe harbor she yeah. needed the security of the promises and that it's been our given. it's our coping mechanism yeah. that's mm-hmm. all you know like I was in LA and we were at a loss and we prayed you know what I mean because it's like yeah. when you hit that wall even though you don't even live in that belief structure anymore mm-hmm. you're just like pray yep. yeah <laughs> pray right now yep and so kicks in. <laughs> dealing with the therapy and countenancing with the depression that was threatening my life is kind of what changed it and we did a long journey to both getting healthier uh, mentally and emotionally and being able to claim an authentic life because that one wasn't it wow wow so how long have you been a uh, a gay ex-Mormon single dad. We separated four years ago um, since it took 18 months before uh, the divorce. So I And I came out a year after that, which was followed by a lot of chaos. I um, when A year after our separation, when I publicly came out, I was nearly killed in a car accident yeah. four days later, which was very Alma the Younger moment oh, for, for, sure. for the totally. naysayers. You'll change your mind like, now. The angel came, <laughs> the angel crashed the car, and he's now going to repent. Didn't happen. <laughs> And then, uh, incidentally, six months after that, when I was recovered, uh, our divorce finalized, and then I was excommunicated two weeks after that. Because wow. when I kept pursuing the divorce, they came after me. So Did they do a disciplinary counsel? Yep. or And you had to, like, tell... Did they say oh, no, it was I because of a date? Yeah, okay. I'm like, I, I hope you didn't attend. go. I don't yeah. subscribe to that authority, so I, I was not going to go be tried. Refused. You're going to tell me that these 15 men who have no professional training in this are going to tell me what is healthy for me to live after all I've gone through and the trauma I've recovered? Like, Listen, no. Yeah. No. I mean... I refuse. I don't subscribe. I, well, I don't either. No. <laughs> like, I'm on your team. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. So what would that's you say to someone that thinks they are... I don't mean to diminish what they're doing, but thinks that what they're doing is noble, like this noble martyrdom, and that they're they're doing it for their wife or they're doing it for their husband, you know, mm-hmm. and that they are keeping the faith and denying themselves and what, why that's not actually as holy as we esteem it to be. Pain, suffering, and deprivation are not virtues. They are not making you happier. They are not making up for something that you're going to recover later. This life is meant to be one where we claim and return to who we actually truly are. I actually believe that life is a long series of deconditioning all the things that were heaped on us so we can just come back to who we are. I mm, and, TikTok about and, that, too, and I really yeah. I love that. Oh, I know. I, I spent so much time on mental health TikTok. <laughs> Um, and to the point that with the analogy of the penthouse, the, the things that you wildly dream and hope are possible for your happiness and fulfillment in this life actually are. Everything that you dream that you don't think you claim can claim, you actually can. Like men hope, truly are that they might have I've, joy. I have been saying that scripture in my head. More. You can yeah. have the maximum amount of joy. It's available to everyone. Your but even you saying that to me is like I kind of think I have to keep my head down and be the single mom martyr you know, because of the complications of when we indulge ourselves over our duty. Mm-hmm. And that's still a battle that I fight every day, like duty to God and duty to family and duty to self. Because people are like, what's your self-care? I'm like, 
What is that? What's well, just like Glennon says in her in Untamed, you know, it's we are programmed to believe that she who martyr who suffers suffers most most wins. Absolutely. And that is false. She who suffers most has a sad life. Yeah. Well, She's just suffered a lot. not a virtue. No. Pain is not a virtue. Think of Suffering the Vinci Code where he like beats himself. We think that's yeah. so absurd no. that God would have you do physical penance. If you are doing, if you are denying yourself physically for God, that's physical penance. That's yeah. pain as a virtue. And it's Correct. not. I've never heard it articulated that way. And it's completely resonating. Mm-hmm. This life was for you to have joy. Yeah. And I mean, it's in the, the scriptures, guys. Why don't we? We, are, we it? actually, on, on a deep level, believe this. <clears throat> yeah. The plan of happiness would never exclude people that are born different. Correct. Yeah. So different is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. I ha- so I have a little question. So if you've been out for four years openly, mm-hmm. right? That's not a long time. No. You're a and baby gay. I know. And gaby, like, we call them. But like, <laughs> Heather and I have talked a lot about like our, we call it like our rumspringa, you know, because it's like, I didn't learn how to, for example, drink alcohol when I was a teenager, like normal people do, yeah. you know, or like, you know, experiment with my dad's whiskey or like whatever. Borderline wine. sommelier over here. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you're on the fa- I fast I get way track. into it. But fast like, tracked. I feel like I had to, after my my first divorce, I had to learn how to drink and how to like be a non-Mormon. And it took, I took some stumbles, you know what I mean? Like it was wild and really weird and strange to do that as a single mom. Like it's one thing to do that in your twenties and not have the responsibility of a child. But like, I had to learn how to navigate that, you know, as a mom to a small child and whatever. And that was weird. And, and the dating and the learning how to have sex and having multiple partners and all of those kind of things that I did. And now I'm like watching Heather, like have to learn how to drink. And I think I'm learning quite well. (laughs) I think I'm an avid student, you know, but doing swimmingly darling, but it is, it's like, so, so can you relate to that? Do you feel like you're like, Oh, like I'm a little bit in over my head. Like here I am an adult, but I'm having these experiences that most gay men probably have had for At a younger years. age, yep. right? I mean, I'm very you're, you're new to grinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's I'm, a whole world in language a, and apps is a whole world. Yeah, I'm very passionate about this actually. And uh, my palmist in a reading I recently did said that I my karmic cycles are that of doubling time. I've done in 30 years what most people do in 60, so I do fast track a lot of stuff. Okay, and I think it's some, opposite of dog years, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> queer bear years. And some of my <laughs> gifts are to be able to articulate what the experience is like as we're going through transitions and journeys. And I found that that's been very helpful for me to understand myself and help others understand themselves. So yeah, um, I, I use this a lot in my coaching and mental health work, delayed adolescence for queer people, particularly prevalent and definitely for people who leave a faith because everything you didn't get to experience, you have to kind of regress, go back, live as a teenager, reclaim those experiences. That includes learning how to drink or experiment with substances or date or just figure out who the hell am I as an adult in this world? Yeah, am I a now bear? Am I a twink? Am I a, you know, am I a daddy? Like what am I? But people, Where do I fit in this community? Yeah, yeah, you need a guide and you need a mentor and you need someone to Say it's okay if you're 45 and this is the first time you've ever sent a dick pic. You yep. know? Right. You'll this, get real good at it. The transition journey is super hard, except I'm very passionate about that because I don't think we have 
Sherpas and guides and mentors who take us through that. And so actually, as I've had family members um, leaving the church or going through their gay experience, like one of, one of the other gay uh, cousins in the family literally flew from Chicago to Seattle last weekend to see me so they could have their first gay adult Halloween Aww. at 35. We dressed up from Sailor Moon. I from loved, Sailor Jupiter. Yes. You looked so he good. He was Sailor Mercury. <laughs> and, and, All I'm thinking about your parents and their deep, deep shame. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, because it had to be slutty Halloween, right? So I just showed the skirt pic, but the one that had the jock strap showing I showed that on private Instagram. Right. And, and this is why he's fast-tracked. So, from the pristine Mormon boy to the Sailor Moon jockstrap mm. in the course of four years. Yes. So uh, talk about your mental health you know, work that you do now. And, and how kind people of, can find yeah, you and reach you and yeah. all that. Yeah. Um, so I've had fantastic therapists and mental health workers who have helped me along my journey. And I've been able... EMDR therapy, do it, folks. Absolutely. It helps the trauma oh, recovery. You, you do a lot of that, mm-hmm. huh? Uh, yeah. I believe a lot in what psychedelics can do and the research that is uh, blatantly clear as to how that can help mental health. And there's some really good Talking firms about out shrooms, there that are publishing. Well, mm. and I mean, ketamine is becoming such a big thing, too. Microdosing fact, with all of the psychedelics is yeah. becoming a very popular... Ketamine's a psychedelic? The, yes, yeah, oh, and wow. just a shout out to Utah Ketamine because they are in our old space, actually. And that was the first beauty lab is in a yeah. place called uh-huh. Ketamine. So those of you beauty labbers that accidentally show up at our old location, <laughs> you like could I just f- pop in for a ketamine yeah. treatment. I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> um, so when I have a lot of people from BYU days who just reach out to me personally, and I just work as a sounding board, and I help coach them, kind of life coach style, but mm-hmm. specifically for transitions with faith or transitions with sexuality to understand how they can fit into this new New world and give them guides of like here's how you can try things and do so safely and then always recommending them to professionals um, I've actually brought a lot of it into work I do a lot of mental wellness workshops uh, and focus on well-being self-care ending stress cycles uh, in my job with Amazon as well it's kind of my like informal job title uh, and That's then cool. uh, one day following in my sister's footsteps I want to publish and do a memoir with some of this and so starting to collect uh, some of the pieces I have hundreds to thousands of pages of journal writing pages of journal writing yeah this is the book I'd want to read yeah. I'd pour over every single yeah. thing like I'd you know be a fly on the wall for those conversations with your wife and those those moments that I'm sure bonded you too like struggling through this together when it's it is not solvable yeah there's not enough doctrine prayer fasting humility in the world to it's not a fixable thing right it's Mm -hmm. like bailing your boat with a hole in your bucket there's it's never going to work so should we book coming in 2027 should we say we'll see 2020 sooner sooner it's so excruciating i'm just going to ask this this is this would be in place of just the tip but yeah um, did do you you coached a while for people that were wanted to maintain their mixed orientation marriage. You would help them and guide them, but you don't do that anymore. I never formally coached in that space. I would just participate and facilitate okay. and support groups. To if kind someone of, came, it was all corroborating you, each other, right? And just time. giving the. If someone came to you now and said, "I want to stay married, but I am as gay as they come, and mm-hmm. I can't have a sexual response with my wife," um, what can I do? Would you say it, you're you're chasing a pipe dream, or would you? Could you could you counsel someone to remain in a mixed orientation marriage today, knowing what you know? Authentically, I could not. However, as uh, we know in mental health, you can't force people to have these realizations sooner than they should. So you support where they're at in the journey and give them whatever tools will help them progress the journey successfully and safely. And so I would never advocate for that. And I and any therapy practices that do, I think, are a little misguided. We can help facilitate their journey to get to a healthy place sooner. Um, sooner and And you can also be the example of someone that like you were afraid to leave and shatter it all but 
it was I'm worth alive. It. And in fact, not only am I alive, I'm thriving on the other side. And of you're it. thriving as a dad. And my daughter's you're thriving, thriving as, as a, a co-parent. Yep. And you are living authentically. Yeah. So if anyone wants me to come public, speak in their workplace or do workshops. Um, Tell then, us where we can find you. Um, the Instagram and the channel that I use for this is at the Michael Allen. So you can find me there sharing Not little tidbits. Not the tidbits. running back wide receiver. <laughs> so many Michael Allens. Don't be eh. disappointed. <laughs> yep. At the Michael Allen, and I have contact information there. And he's also Queer Bear. And yeah. I'm also at, at Queer, Queer Bear, Bear for the gay shenanigans. K-W-E-E-R. There. <laughs> K- yes. My own version of queer. K-W-E-E-R. And we, wanted, we want you to take this like nationwide or global. Yeah. Absolutely. The fearlessly queer journey. Yes. Well, there, like you said, when you were growing up, there was a big push for same-sex attraction, you know, struggling with same-sex attraction. We didn't even say gay because mm-hmm. gay didn't exist because right. God would not make you gay. And now we've evolved. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like there are a lot of people that are in mixed orientation marriages that w- think they're supposed to stay. Yes. And so that's the next wave, I think, is mm-hmm. this breaking free of everything. And shout yeah. out to my friend Tempest DuJour, who... Uh, we love Tempest. Oh my gosh. What love a wonderful you. father. Wonderful father. Wonderful drag queen. Wonderful human. I know. I lived in Phoenix for seven years, and so just uh, down the road, down in really? um, Tucson, it was just delightful to have someone that represented, was teaching, was professional, had these children and all of these amazing pets, and was representing so authentically in the community what it yeah. can look like to have Total new versions of wholesome families. Yep, new version Tempest of families. Fabulous. He's a, and he was on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, very yeah. No way. He's a hero to me. Total inspirational and a true trailblazer. Like he is. people say, I'm a trail. What have I blazed? What trail? Just the, oh, the sad I, single mom. I'm, I'm ready to respond to <laughs> yeah. her. Audience, get ready. I'm gonna give it to her. Give very. it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you so much. I love You're you too. so much. This, wow. It's always it's deeper and more fascinating than we think it's going to be. Th- and I, I had like a beauty lab blessed that I wanted to read, but I don't want to read it anymore because it's se- like... It's, the energy's yeah, here. Yeah, I'm like, this in is... In this I- fairy <laughs> there's quite enough, Michael, for <laughs> all of us. I think my parting thought would be is uh, we all love Prophetess Brene Brown and in Braving mm-hmm. the Wilderness, she talks about when we belong to ourselves and to no one else's when we are authentic. And the journey we take into the wilderness is one that has to be done alone. However... We're all in the same forest, and you may see the trees differently than I do, but I see you over there, girls, and I say, hey, thanks for being a witness on the journey with me. (laughs) I know we're going to start crying. We're in it together. We are in it together. We're all in this together. We're on our journey in the wilderness together. Yeah, so much love, so much support. So much love, so much support, and more things that bring us together than uh, tear us apart. apart. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could be married, minus the sex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you know? And then they go right back to the penthouse, right back to the ground zero. Right I back have to the so basement. many single parent friends and lesbian friends, and I refer to them as my platonic partners. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, yes. We co-parent. We do things yep. together. We plan vacations. We figure it all out. Like, yep. uh, trust you as much as I would a spouse, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We need to give more credit to those relationships. I am sometimes baffled that we don't have like anniversaries for friendships that last we so so long that. you know what i mean yes. or like celebrate because like i think of the main relationships in my life right now and it absolutely it's my friends you know it takes a village the yes. village is my yes. tribe dre flew into new york and my daughter was like oh thank goodness you're here <laughs> 
Oh. Yeah. Because we do need support. It is very, very hard to do it alone. I've been doing it alone for so long, and I have 100% custody of my kids, so I don't have weekends or nights mm-hmm. off. And yeah. it's like, it is taxing. And I would give up, I mean, I, I shouldn't say this, but like, I would give up sex. I would give up hopes and dreams of the penthouse just for, you know. A break? A break. <laughs> yeah. But and? then, but that, but just like you, it would only satisfy for a minute, you know, and then mm-hmm. you, you ultimately, human nature is we are compelled to improve upon ourselves. So what we can sa- be satisfied with, we will ultimately have to settle for or progress, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, Absolutely. It, nothing gold can stay. Yeah. <gasps> In the name of uh, <laughs> Anne Cohen, Anne Cohen, Amen. <laughs> but even though this has been much deeper and better than anything we can <sighs> imagine, the lab loves you too. Not only does the real Michael <laughs> Allen love you, but the lab loves you too. We all love you. Yes, so much love. All so much love. love. So much. Support. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. All right. Well, uh, again, as Heather said, the lab loves you. And remember, eye contact, everyone. <laughs> Life is short. By the lips. Life is short. By the lips. Come on, you Michael. I should have. Can we do it one more time? <laughs> Certainly. And remember.